Billy from Billy J. Bryan and the Axe Grinders, and you're listening to another awesome episode of the Atomic Podcast. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast, coming to you live from the Upper West Side in New York City, where we blow up the news on a verbal scale. My guest today, he's a longtime actor, and I, I consider him a humanitarian. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Mr. Lou Temple. Lou, how you doing? Ephraim, it's so nice to be here. I'm excited. I'm, uh, I'm sitting out on my porch, and it's a balmy 63, 64 degrees uh, early evening. I guess it's uh, you know five-ish my time, but I'm going to guess you're not out on your porch, and those are not the temperatures where you, where you sit in the Upper West Side. No, not really. Um, I don't have a porch. I have a concrete, and I have barred windows, and I'm just seeing um, nasty black snow outside outside pretty much right now. So I'm kind of oh, envious well, of you right now. Send you good, good sunshine vibrations and uh, <laughs> peaks of uh, mountains that are being kissed by the golden west sun, and uh, it's it's good here, but. Uh, it will be soon enough in New York. Spring is in the air. I, I'm hoping. I hope it's not too much longer a winter. Yeah, you know, this is so far, it's been pretty much like the longest winter ever. Like, last winter wasn't as bad as this winter in the East Coast, but it's, it's I don't know, the weather is just crazy. Right now, I think the perfect, the, the perfect profession is to be a meteorologist, because you could be wrong every time and still have a job. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, I think we could probably uh, do just as good as those meteorologists, but... Uh, you know, you got to look good in a dress. So, uh, you know, that's, that's important. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, every um, Everybody remembers the women meteorologists and not the guys. Besides, unless you're Al Roker, you know what I'm saying? Nobody will really know who the other guy meteorologists right. are. <laughs> we, have a, we have a weatherman here on one of our local stations in Los Angeles, and his name is Rainer Shines, and that is just a perfect name uh, for a weather uh, caster, a forecaster. Uh, and he's quite dapper, and, and uh, he's memorable, so he's great. Incidentally, Rainer Shines is also the name of an actor who played a role of my cousin Vinny, and oftentimes, because I bear a resemblance to him, uh, pe- people ask me if I was in my cousin Vinny, and uh, I, I was not. Uh, that was Rainer Shines, and he was brilliant in that role, and that movie was fantastic, but uh, uh, I got no, no attachment to that. Well, you anyway, I'm sure that has very little to do with The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, just to start off a little bit early, um, where did you grow up at? Uh, uh, Louisiana, New Orleans. Oh, uh, I just came from there from vacation. Beautiful country, man, and great food. It's, uh, it, thank you, it is, on both accounts. Uh, fantastic city. It's uh, full of sounds and music, and, and as you said, uh, great Great food and and just good uh, good people and it it's uh, it's a lovely lovely place to be from I have to say. Oh, where, where where did you reside in Louisiana? By the French quarters or where exactly? Did uh, you... I was I was in what's called the Garden District, okay. and uh, that that's a little bit uh, in in uptown what they call uptown a little bit, and it's uh, a lot of lovely old uh, plantation homes and um, different. Uh, continued French architecture, but kind of different uh, shops and, and arty. It's a it's a, it's a great area, but you can't go wrong in New Orleans wherever you live, and it just keeps 
it keeps growing the same, I guess. It has the same culture, but there's a lot of new influence, which I think is good because I, I think that is how a community continues to thrive, not unlike New York. There's the history of the city, and then on top of that, there's new waves being uh, thrashing at the shores. So uh, that's good. It's good. Yeah, exactly. And uh, New, Orleans is, New Orleans is so good that Nicolas Cage bought a mausoleum in the cemetery. I had a, I did a cemetery tours, and he has his own... Like, you know, you know, because they have these, you know, the cemeteries you can't bury past, what is it, four feet or something like that? He has his own Right, pump. well, that, yeah, the water table is, is pretty, pretty high, so if you dig, uh, if you dig a grave, so to speak, six feet under, um, you're going to hit water. Yeah. And, uh, so that, that's, uh, that's why there's the above ground mausoleums and the tombs. So, um, yeah, Nick Cage, he, he, he adores New Orleans, and it's a very European city, so people, I think, that have some European uh, wanderlust, a little European influx or interest, really appreciate it, but it's, it's great for everybody, good music, great food, good people, you can get an adult beverage there, and, uh, and really enjoy yourself, so not unlike New York City, as a matter of fact. Yep, that's true. That's true. Um, so how how did um was the growing up out there really cool? It was really friendly in your area. Well, it's a it's a real uh, you know typically outdoors because there is very nice weather, and then we get the opposite extreme of your cold weather. It's very hot, uh, humid, high heat and humidity during the summer, which you also have in the city, um, the summertime, and uh, so there's a lot of swimming, a lot of lakes, a lot of fishing. Uh, a lot of outdoor activity, and uh, growing up, I was a baseball player, so I enjoyed uh, playing ball with uh, all my my friends and neighbors and such. Yeah, you was you was a, um, a baseball MVP in 1982 at Rollins College, right? I was. I just went back recently to speak to the college to kick off their baseball season as, as the uh, guest of honor for uh, uh, their baseball dinner, and I was reminded that I won that award, and uh, <laughs> that was that was. That was a very uh, great experience going to school on a baseball scholarship and then ultimately getting a chance to go out and play a little bit professionally. And then after I did that, I went and maintained a baseball career as uh, as a coach in the minor leagues and then scouted and then became kind of a front office executive that was being groomed to be a general manager of a major league baseball team. When I followed a girl into an acting class to maybe perchance have a date and I, I looked down on that stage and saw what they were doing and it just struck me that's something I would like to do so I changed gears didn't know how to do that at all but I did go back to school in Brooklyn College as a matter of fact to get uh, my studies on acting and uh, so I'm a person that's had the good fortune to have two incredible careers one in baseball and also one in acting that a lot of people would like to have even one shot at, you know? Yeah. Um, going back to baseball, um, did you play minor league with the Seattle, Seattle Mariners and the Houston Astros? Started started with Seattle, then moved on to Houston. Yeah. Oh, wow. Forgettable trade that only my mother and the other guy's mother would remember uh, between Seattle and Houston. And then played in their minor league system until they figured out I wasn't a very good player. <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't really the case, was it? I think... Uh, I think everybody has their ceiling when you get into competitive sports and professional athletes and 
they think there's only a certain amount of guys that are that talented that play at the highest level. And, you know, at the end of the day, I wasn't one of those guys, but I, I certainly was. Uh, what I would determine a survivor, I, I figured out how to compete without the same skill set as some of the others. Yeah, um, okay. Um, do you feel that um, acting came as naturally to you as sports did? Uh, I think it did because I think that I was always a gregarious kid and I always enjoyed clowning and being the class clown and I always enjoyed doing imitations and impressions at school assemblies and I didn't have a certain shyness. Uh, I was always very outgoing, which is typical of anyone from New Orleans. So I think acting from that standpoint came natural. Um, you know, in, in acting is an art, and so the art uh, requires some finesse, and athletics or sports is more of a repetition drill uh, approach and continual practice. And so I think uh, that was something that I had to learn as an artist was to not be so forceful in my uh my preparation for my work. Sometimes you have to organically let it happen. And oftentimes what I've found nowadays in my work, um, just be available for discovery and something to catch you off guard. So often in a, in a scene, something will happen that you hadn't thought of, you hadn't planned, and that will really be the delight of the scene. And, uh, and, and I think that if you're so focused, athletic, laser beam focus, um, those things can't happen. So I certainly was the type of person that was okay with making a fool of himself while I was learning, and there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Very good at taking instruction because I had been a baseball player and had been coached all my life. Very good at collaboration because I was on a team and it took other people to get the job done to win a game. Just So I think baseball prepared me in a lot of ways for what I was encountering and acting. And then conversely, some things like you can't just hit a scene hard the way you can a fastball. You have to, you know, you have to finesse it and let it happen. And it has to be a, you know, seamless event between you and and the person that you're working with so um and and getting back to the athletics i wasn't what i would call a gifted athlete you know i'm not i'm not a huge guy i'm not physically as strong as most others that play any sport so i had to work harder i had to run faster i had to learn to do mechanically things that could help me would be shortcuts to just even compete with with guys that were much stronger and faster than I was, but I could basically run and throw and catch the ball and make a little contact at the plate, and I, I learned to use those skills to the best of my ability to keep me around a little bit. As acting goes, I think there's still things you recognize you do. I'm kind of the quintessential go-to Southern guy. Uh, I can go into villainry or hard luck, you know, ne'er-do-wells to comedic uh, bumblers, uh, 
a variety. Am I a romantic lead? I haven't really been yet. Would I like to give that a shot? Of course. Um, but those, uh, you know, until you get the opportunity to do so, uh, you keep working. I, I'm kind of an advocate, Ephraim, of working on your strengths because, uh, you know, I just think your weaknesses are your weaknesses. They can get better, but no matter how good my British accent is, <laughs> no one's gonna no one's gonna hire me over a real Brit to play a Brit per se. Although I keep trying, I have to say, I have to say it too. Yeah, because so, they have they have a lot of Brits that play Americans, so it could you know anything's possible. That's true. We we I think we really appreciate their efforts in, in changing their dialect and their work habits and of course on The Walking Dead I got to work with uh, uh, three really uh, uh, Andrew Lincoln, Lauren Cohen and uh, David Morrissey and um, they work very hard at, at their dialect so I, I give them uh, a huge tip of the hat for their, their work ethic. Yeah. Um, just before we get into the Walking Dead territory, which I definitely want to get into, um, going back a little bit, um, Rob Zombie had a similar evolution going from music to making movies. It seems like you are both very versatile and creative people. What was it like working with him on The Devil's Rejects and Halloween? Well, those are that's an interesting uh, comparison because Rob's incredibly creative, and I think his effort was, how do I find my creative the venue, how do I access it? You know, he, he starts out as an artist and, and he's kind of a graphic novelist, a, a sketch artist, and, and he has these ideas and, and he always loved movies. Um, but somewhere, I think, where wisely, he understood that he also is a performer and, and I think he felt like he needed to sow that seed of performance, which got him going with his band. And then he realized, wow, I really provide a, a level of entertainment and uh, and then I'll take a swing at the movies that I've always loved, and and so uh, he he did. And he's very creative. He's he's very focused. He has an intensity uh, and a desire to have the best scene every day, every shot that he he makes. Um, it's great being with him, but it, it is a lot of work. Uh, you bring your A game as you would for anybody, but. He really, uh, he really expects you to bring something to the party. That's why he hires you. The script that he writes is a blueprint, but in most cases, he wants you to put up the drywall. And um, and that's why you see him hiring uh, continually a lot of the same people in his core ensemble, so that when he does hire someone new, he can uh, you know, have a chance to get to know them and work with them a little bit more. And uh, it's a good formula for him. I... I think it works. Uh, it works great. He's he's a great guy. I mean, I, I'm more proud to say that he's my friend than he's been my director on three of his movies and hopefully uh, a couple more in, in the in the future. Uh, he knows what he wants and he wants what he knows. There's not much of a gray area in between. When something's not working, he doesn't force it to try to make it work. He moves on, and I think that's a, a great quality. I think he's. A, excellent storyteller that continues to get better. Um, I think there's things he does for the fans, his audience, and I think there's things that he does for himself creatively, like the rest of us. And uh, he marries the two a little bit, and it usually turns out pretty well. How was how was your role on, on The Devil's Rejects? That was your first time working with Rob. How was... That was my first time.
time when I first was hired, I was brought to Rob by the casting director, Monica Mickelson, and I didn't know anything about the horror genre at that time, I'll have to say, other than the few movies I'd seen growing up. I wasn't what I would say a real horror aficionado. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't know about Rob, a bit about his music for sure, but um, yeah, I was a little nervous because the script that I had just read, The Devil's Rejects, was pretty gruesome. It was pretty <laughs> intense and, and pretty graphic. And so then I got word that he really liked my audition and that he really liked me. And then I got word that he wanted to hire me. And I, I was like, oh, no. Uh, so I called a friend of mine, Walton Goggins, the actor yeah. from The Shield and most recently Justified. <laughs> Walton's on, on everything, yeah. you know. Um, and he had worked with Robin House of the Thousand Corpses. And so I said, Walton, Walton, what am I going to do? This devil worshiper wants me to <laughs> come do a movie for him. He goes, oh, shut up. <laughs> just, uh, Rob's, Rob's as cool as we are. Just go do that job and you'll have a friend for life. And I'm happy to say that that's true. Um, and he's he's a great presence. He has, he's actually a great performer. What he does every night on stage, I certainly could not. I don't have physical energy. I mean, it's amazing what his show when he gets up and does that. And when he directs and there's an intense scene and he's trying to emulate what he's thinking, you see that actor in him. I've often said, why don't you go off and do a role for, uh, you know, Robert Rodriguez or yeah. Quentin Tarantino or something because there's there's something in you and on, you know, performance that, that really could be uh, special. So he just laughs at me. He said, I, I'll stick to hiring uh, <laughs> actors. But uh can't say enough about him. So that that's a great experience always. Yeah, because... Double Three Jacks, you know, it was great because there was the character there. There were lines that were there. But Rob really let me play a character arc, which was Adam Banjo. And to have that character have all this macho bravado southern man yeah. on the front front end of it and then when the proverbial poop hits the fan to kind of cower down and put his dress on and be coddled by his wife and then have to rise again to fight for his life and the life of his friend and almost win and then to lose it was just a really great opportunity to play a person's life and the character arc all the way through the movie in a short period of time with the Banjo and Sullivan at the, at the hotel, which was great. Very intense, uh, a lot of work, but I'm really proud of the work that we did. As, as, as a unit, everybody, not just Rob at the helm, but, uh, you know, obviously Jeffrey Lewis and Priscilla Barnes and Kate Norby, who played my wife, and then not to mention Bill Mosley and Sherry Moon. Yeah. Uh, Rob's wife, so, and Brian Poussin, who was in that scene as yeah. the roadie. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, a, real, a real great experience. And, you, you know, back to the Devil's Rejects, it's a 10-year anniversary this year. We oh. did that in 2005, so this is a 10 years. I can't believe it already. Oh, my God. So, I know, I know. So, uh, that's exciting. We're all very proud of that movie. I think, uh, I think Rob did something very special in that yeah. film. 
as I am, you know, I don't know if I'm twisted or not. Um, I guess you could consider me twisted, but that scene, the whole scene in the hotel, and I'm saying it was it was sick, but it was just like you know, it was almost like a train wreck. It was it was funny and it was like violent at the same time. And I thought you and Jeffrey Lewis had a, had a good repertoire together. Like it was a good camaraderie between you guys and Banjo. It was and great, you know, and everyone brought a little something to the table, and and uh, you know, it was very difficult. And and the scene where Priscilla and, yeah. and Bill were there, that was so intense. It was not easy to actually witness, and. Like, I believe that he was that twisted. Like, that's good acting when you don't even see Bill Mosley. He's fantastic. Yeah. If you've ever met Bill, you know, he's just the sweetest guy and one of the smartest humans out there. Uh, he can tell you every insect and what their, you know, carbon database is. And, and he <laughs> loves plant life. And he's really a scientist at heart, he, as, besides being a really fantastic actor. Wow. Um, how was it on Halloween? Halloween, you the roles were sort of reversed because you sort of had a twisted type role in. Yeah, that. totally reversed, and that was Rob's take right from the beginning. He said, "Look, I'm going to switch you and Danny Trejo up." And typically, Danny's the hard guy, and you're the victim, you know. But this time, I'm going to switch that up, and uh, and again, Rob <laughs> let me go for it. So um, that was no plugs. You know, there. My thing about that was to have all the this unlikable characteristics I could find laid out. You know, from racism to uh, rapist to perversion to Machiavellian uh, Iago esque under my thumb. You know, so. Of what we ended up doing, the rape scene was to get Michael Myers to be um, part of something very awful, and and my intent was to get him involved, his hands down, to rape this girl, and then maybe rape him. And then Rob was like, "Oh, I don't, my God, I don't know." And so, but ultimately, the Weinstein's uh, were very nervous about the female audience as well they should be Um, and they felt like that may not be the route and they offered Rob an alternative and he he came up with the the version that made the film so if you've ever watched the director's cut the Devil's Rejects uh, Halloween excuse me uh, director's cut you'll see Rob's version which has the rape scene which is ultimately how Michael Myers escapes Uh, and really intense stuff very difficult to get yourself in that place I I had a nice visit with Malcolm McDowell one day and he said you know it's it's a job if you have to play Hitler that's your job so you must do it and you must do it with um, gusto and uh, so uh, Rob made it very good on set for us to be able to go to those places it was a close set in the rape scene where we were touching a young lady who he really didn't know in places where we really shouldn't be. Yeah. And uh, so that was good. 
Oh wow! So so all that was basically like it was actually real. Like, how did you get in that mindset? Like, I don't like as an actor, you know, like you know, going into a particularly dark place like that. Like, how how does that change you as a human being, as Lou? How does that change you as Lou? Or it's just a job, and like, all right, you're in that character for that moment, and then you stop, and you know, how does that one one take it in though? Well, I think again, you have to find places that you're not happy or reasons that you can personally bring yourself to to make it uh, real for you. You know, I've certainly never raped a woman or abused a woman and uh, and really have never done anything personally that bad. But the things that I have done that I'm not proud of, you kind of have to go to that well. And... Um, and you have to have reasons too. Um, you know, for you know, at the end of the day, my character was an abused child and and didn't get much parental uh, guidance, more abuse than anything. So uh, that was a place that I had to go to kind of build that character. Mm-hmm. And uh, oftentimes we try to find the real in the character, whether it's likable or not. I I like find the likable qualities of characters because I think that makes them more complicated. But in this instance, there wasn't that many. Uh, So I just had to play through and it wasn't easy coming home every night from set to shed that skin. But um, again, that that was the the game and that was the job that uh, you commit to Mm -hmm. uh, doing it. And and Rob uh, appreciates that and I appreciate the opportunity and the fact that I can open up a vein and go there. And I hope the audience appreciates it as well. Yeah, if, if anybody hasn't seen it, definitely check that out. It's, you know, besides the scene, I'm just saying it's a really good, you know, I thought that was a really good movie, you know. And, and 2 was was pretty good, but, I, you know, I just like the first one, though. But, you know, that, was... I think the first, I think Rob's first movie, Halloween, was more an homage to Mr. Carpenter's. And I think his second was... Uh, more of Rob's psychological tear. Yeah, maybe more towards Rosemary's Baby. And then his most recent movie, Lords of Salem, is definitely um, a psychological thriller in in the form of Rosemary's Baby. Uh, So these are things that I think Rob was heading to or or was working to get at. And so uh, is to get (laughs) inside the head of people. because I think he's interested in telling those stories. Yeah. All right. So now to get on a lighter note, just to get off this, um, you worked twice with Johnny Depp on Rango and um, The Long Ranger. What was that like? No, it's always great to be with uh, Mr. Depp. He's such a lovely person, and he's <laughs> delightful and fairly handsome. <laughs> it, doesn't to, it doesn't suck to be around him all day. Yeah. Rango was so much fun. Uh, Gore Verbinski directed it. And uh, we shot it on a soundstage, so we actually filmed all of our action uh, without the script in hand, and we acted like these characters, and then we um, we would go over and record the voices at, at, a, at a recording sound booth uh, on the side of the stage. So we actually had to be these turkeys and, and seagulls and birds and uh, and walk around, and it was just great. We were at Universal Studios here in Hollywood, and just one of the best best jobs, fun that I've had. And I think that Gore's idea was to make a, a cartoon that adult 
sequels typically like, and uh, I think his animation at ILM, the George Lucas Company, was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that they were able to see us act this out in our gestures and our facial expressions, and that they could pull off facial movement off of that that video that Gore shot and implemented into their 3D animatics, made it very lifelike and yet very cartoonish as well. And lo and behold, we knocked Pixar off that year and won an Oscar, the only movie I've been attached to that has won an Oscar. Um, so I'm really proud of that. And it, it was just so much fun doing Mr. Fergus down at the Chandler store and uh, Sergeant Turley, the turkey uh, with the arrow through his eye. Uh, so it was, it was a delight, no doubt about it. And then uh, working again with Johnny Depp, uh, the Lone Ranger, mm-hmm. where he played uh, the Native American Tonto. A lot of work for him, no doubt. A lot of work for all of us. Huge movie, epic movie. Um, but for me, it was a boy's dream. I was riding a horse every day and roping and shooting. And I was out with my group of boys. and We were just on horses for 16 hours a day for three, four months. So playing Hollis, one of the... Uh, uh, Texas Rangers that was ambushed in the canyon that uh, eventually the Lone Ranger springs out of to avenge his brother's death. Uh, so Johnny Depp got to bury me out there in, on the prairie, and that was uh, that was special. So he's really great. I can't say enough about his work, and I I like his person and his approach, and and he's he's got a world soul about him that's very, very special, and I hope that we all realize that when we start to be critical of things that he's doing or not doing, you know. You know, my granddad used to say there's an ass for every seat, and I, I think that's true, so. Um, but he he's delightful, and uh, again, I worked with Gore on Lone Ranger, and that was just a lot of fun. It's just really fantastic. Okay. Um, going now to what you were talking about before, The Walking Dead has become a huge phenomenon. The show has a high mortality rate, you know, as you know, as you well know. Um, what was your experience on the show? <laughs> well, again, you know, this is a really special experience um, for me personally and for everyone publicly. We we often all offer that the best part of the show is each other. And the fact that we work and pull as a team, there's no hierarchy, there's there's no divas. Uh, everybody is bringing their best game and pushing hard. We've got uh, eight days to make ten, and um, it's a lot of work to shoot an episode. We're outdoors in the heat of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, humidity, bugs, uh, sun exposure, dehydration. Um, we're trying to get scenes put together. They're typically very intense scenes. There's typically a lot of emotion attached to them. It's just a lot of work. So at the end of the day, there's a collective sigh, and we're very satisfied with what we've accomplished. And then we gear it up to start the next week. So I think the idea that we are such a tight-knit family is what I got from that. People ask me, what you get? Well, the friendships and the relationships. My dear friends, Vincent Ward... Norman Reedus, Andrew Lincoln, Melissa McBride, Sarah Wayne Callies. You know, these are really special people, as well as, you know, Robert Kirkman and Gail Ann Hurd and Scott Kimple and people uh, that are the executives on the show.
caring people that really join in and, and accomplish something. In your mind, did you have a backstory for Axel, or did they give you any kind of hints of how Axel was? Or they gave me a lot of hints that were uh, to throw me off the trail of what they really were thinking. Um, this show, you know, you got to kind of get tenured there. They're not sure how long you're gonna last, and they don't want you to have know all the secrets of the recipe until you're really one of them. Um, so I didn't have what I thought from them, a clear picture. I did recognize that what they wanted me to do was how I started out, then they changed gears in mid-stride, and so I had to subtly make those changes. But um, the backstory typically, when we started with Axel, was pharmaceuticals, drugs, little uh, heroin addiction, little sales, and that would be the presence of my hands always under my armpit. Someone asked me if my hands were cold. Uh, no, just white knuckle and jonesing for some age. Um, oh, okay. And then, well, maybe what we're going to do, we'd like you to have a little lascivious fangs because we're thinking about doing a storyline similar to the comic books where you kidnap one of the young people and murder them out in the woods. So then I had to change gears. But all of those things were supported with secrets. And I always felt like Axel had secrets, and that's why I never undid the jumpsuit or or the riot gear uniform. You know, it was always buttoned up. So when that became unbuttoned, we'd really expose what was there. Maybe a bunch of tattoos, and 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 he was a bit of a pathological liar anyway. You know, he was in for pharmaceuticals. No, he was in for a robbery. Um, you know, I really feel like he was probably in for some horrible uh, sociopathical sociopath-type crimes that were, you know, rape, murder, serial killer, maybe pedophile, those kinds of things. Yeah. And he was just really good at masking and covering those. But at the end, what was important, counter to Noel plugs, was that he was likable. And it was always important for me to make him likable and make him somebody that could be rooted for, not against. And uh, I feel like we did a good job with that. So if the story, and if the writers wanted to go down a different trail for Axel, I had reserved space to be able to do that and, and in a natural transition. But if Axel was going to go out just a good old boy that wanted to be part of the gang, there, which is actually how it was, that's really how it went, um, then we were in line for that too. So... Uh, that that was kind of the beat for him. Uh, you know, the, the show had been on my desk as a graphic novel long before it was aired, and I thought it was amazing. And then I heard they were going to do a television show on The Walking Dead, and I thought, man, I, they're never going to pull the violence in the graphic. And they did. They brought me in to read for Merle, the role of Merle, and thankfully they had hired Michael Rooker to do that role. Then shortly thereafter, they brought me in to audition for the role of Daryl, whom uh, didn't even have a name at that time. Michael, it was uh, it was uh, Merle's brother. And how do you want this done? Just do it different than how you read Merle. Uh, so thankfully, they hired Norman Reedus. And then when it came time for Axel, they they kind of had a good awareness of me, and uh, they thought that was a good fit. And I'm I'm happy they did. Wow, so you, you even auditioned from way beginning from the first season of the show then, basically, right? Yeah, 
pilot. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Oh wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, in theory, zombies are undead. Did you ever secretly wish your character had not gotten shot in the head, or no? Your... I I did. They asked me about that. They really did. They asked me if I wanted to maintain a certain um, reanimation, and and I said no. Oh wow. Why? So because because ultimately, there's someone's gonna have to put me down. Carl's gonna come out and shoot me. Nah, take me out now. I wanted it to be a shock. I wanted it to be a gut punch. I wanted it to come out of nowhere. That was really important to me about the shot quality. I remember the Zabruder tapes, Zabruder tapes, Kennedy getting shot in the head, and how violent and harsh and terminal that seemed, what a shock to the nation it was. And I wanted to execute that. And I, I think we did. I think we did that. And uh, so, uh, what's done is done. Um, I think the, you know, the beginning of that scene where I'm having a discussion with Carol and it's kind of light so seldom on The Walking Dead is there a moment to catch your breath and talk about life so seldom is there not different def uh, desperate measures desperate times so I just wanted to implement that a little bit and let everyone feel kind of good and I like this guy and then bang here comes the bullet so um, while well, I was not happy to be leaving the show I was happy with how we executed my exit, so to speak. Um, you know, it was really just based on the plot line uh, where it was. The governor was going to show up at the prison. He needed to draw blood and uh, and prove himself not to be impotent. Someone needed to go down. Uh, it wasn't going to be me. Then it was. Then it wasn't. Decisions weren't made. There was a lot of support for me. Andrew Lincoln talked to the producers and kind of offered that he didn't think that should be the case, but... You know, were they really ready to let one of the regulars go at this point? Um, so I drew that short straw. So you, you, you do the denial dance. You try to offer them alternatives. Mm -hmm. What about this guy, Alan? No, he's not, you know, he's, he's not somebody that's as endearing as you are right now. So at some point you have to connect with it, accept it, and then you recognize again, getting back to the, Malcolm McDowell conversation, you've got a job to do, you've got to do the best that you can, and it's got to mean something. And for me, the most important thing was providing an honor to, to Axel. Lou Temple will go on and work again, but uh, this was going to be it for Axel, so I wanted it to have uh, a, a real purpose and honor so, and to do a good job with it, and that was my, my focus and my attention. Oh, did, did they do the... the the um the dinner for you or was it just for like the main main core members no group? they do the dinner they did the dinner it's great because it's a huge lovely expensive dinner and the check <laughs> comes around and you don't have to touch it yeah. so uh, it's really great in my case i made sure it was a very happy and very uh, satisfying and delightful i've been to several of them some of them are, are extremely sad some of them are are difficult to get through, um, but mine, I wanted it to be happy time. Oh, was um, was you um, involved in any other dinners for any departing cast members, or it was just... Sure, like yeah. I, the, my, when I, right when I showed up, shortly thereafter, uh, Sarah Wayne Callies and, uh, and Ironique Singleton, yeah. T-Dog. Yeah. And so we had to go do those dinners, and it was... Uh, it was awful. And then, of course, uh, my friend, <coughs> Oscar, mm -hmm. you know, we had dinner for him. Vincent Ward.
Well, so even so, yeah. even even as a departed cast member, you still go. To, you you still invited to all the dinners, like when the departed cast member leaves. Kind of, if you're available and you're around, you were somebody that had a connection. Because you know, I was there right when uh, Tyrese was showing up. So, and he and I spent a lot of time in the gym together and stuff. So, yeah, I was invited. That was that was sweet. Right. Can I so, ask what's what's the dinner like? What's what's the food consist of? Well, it just depends on what restaurant. On occasion, and it's always in a private room in the back of a very private setting, and it's a very nice restaurant. It could be Italian. It could be a steak restaurant. It could be uh, sushi. Gotcha. It just depends uh, what the pick is of the cast member who's leaving. Yeah, or sometimes it's just made a decision, and the dead mother, whoever that is, to say we're meeting at so-and-so on this night, and, um, and you throw in. Uh, it's very personal. I think, again, it speaks to the closeness of the... The cast. Right. Yeah. And I think that those are some of the reasons the show works so well. Well, that's that's amazing to hear because I'm a huge fan of The Walking Dead. And, you know, even when they're on Talking Dead, it makes it seem like everyone is a family and everyone's close-knit. Even though the hard work hours you guys had, it seems like, you know, at the end of the day, you guys are friends. And it comes it, it comes across that way. Yeah, everybody really, and you're brought in to participate and contribute. You're not brought in as a, as a stepchild, so to speak, to be uh, on the outside looking in. You're really brought in and welcomed. And uh, look, as a quick story, uh, our first scene um, as the prisoners was our reveal in the prison. Now they had shot the day before uh, the. Uh, uh, Herschel scene where they amputate his leg and our scene the next day to reveal us was the reaction to that. The entire cast came in to redo, re-perform that scene for us to have the appropriate reaction to. And that was a tough scene. And you got Scott Wilson and Andrew Lincoln and, and that level of intensity going that they just blown out the day before and now they came back and did it again for us so that we could land on the show with, when I say, holy shit, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> that was... it's, so appro- it's so appropriate. Yeah. And uh, so that right there, and I've been acting a long time. I've been in a lot of sets and a lot of shows and a lot of films. And it wasn't my first rodeo. That really was something new to me, bizarrely wonderful. Yeah. That 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 scene definitely came off left field. Like you know the show, you know people, you know the people, you know people say like the show has has dips and whatever. But I don't know. I think they've yeah. been going at a good rate. There's some episodes that are standalone episodes. They're like eh, but you know, the show to me, I, I put it right up there with Breaking Bad. You know, it's right up there. You know, like you know. Yeah, I think it. I think it's an amazing group of writers that build stuff. I think there's a certain awareness of the audience. I think there's a symbiotic relationship where I call them the audience because I think fans doesn't do it justice. I think they participate and somehow they inform the show as to what needs to happen, whether they like it or not. And the show also informs them as to what's going to happen, whether they like it or not. But it all seems to be appropriate. And uh, I think that's really special. Uh, and, and there's, you know, the, certainly cultural phenomena mm-hmm. uh, this show and that there's a multitude of reasons you know I personally feel because it's it's so 
survivor show, and not one of us doesn't wake up every day mm-hmm. to survive in survival mode. Uh, our mortgage, our credit debt, the price of gas, a gallon of milk, health care. Uh, you know, the walkers to me are metaphors for all of these obstacles that we all encounter, a loved one who's sick with a serious illness. Um, the one percenters, you know, all of these things, I think, are very relatable to our communities, and I think that we can easily put ourselves in the shoes of, of the walking dead, and that's that's why it becomes such a water cooler conversation, which is the internet on shows like this, um, <laughs> yeah. to, to have a, a visit about um, what's going on in, in life. You know, I think it's more than just the gruesomeness of the walkers. I think at the end of the day, that's very secondary. I think the reality is this group of people trying to survive just like we all are. Um, and now I'm getting to another subject. Um, I read somewhere you were a, a, a writer and director. Is that true? I definitely have done both. I try to I try to write as often as I can. I think you're in a good mode thinking when you're writing. Mm-hmm. And I've directed a couple of shorts. Uh, I feel like I'm always directing myself. Uh, I feel like I work with a lot of actors and, and I'm able to convey a certain level of thought to them in the form of direction. Uh, I feel like there's directors I have a a relationship where I can make suggestions. Um, Could I direct a film or a television show? I'll be honest with you for now. I'm not sure my time efficiency, my use is economical or efficient enough. I think I would get lost on a lot of different takes and options. Uh, One of the great things is Rob Zombie is very easy at selecting and moving on. And um, I think I would just be that guy, let's try another one, you know. Mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood, I hear, never worked for him, met him a couple times, but I hear he just is like, that was it, I don't need to do another one, you don't need to do another one, let's go, move on. And they said they really pleasant. So I'm not sure I'm that guy, unfortunately, um, to, to be a really good director, but I would like to, uh, I would like to at least explore that opportunity. And writing, what kind of material do you write? Is there any specific genre that you write? I think I like to write Space of Life. I like to write ironic twists of fate. I wouldn't say... uh, I like to write about real life and what happens. And and I I like um, writing very ordinary stuff and making it extraordinary, you know. try to uh, to do things like Juno or Once or uh, uh, you know um, 21 Grams you know mm-hmm. things yeah. that are rather special outside of the box not saying I connect on any of those levels not saying certainly not comparing my stuff to any of those wonderful pieces but uh, you know something like Waitress which is a movie I did uh played in is a great example of yeah. wonderful storytelling so uh, I, I really appreciate that and I certainly don't write action adventure types of pieces I don't conceive them in that size you know like the things that I've done for Tony Scott uh, which I adored I adored being part of that ensemble and you know Unstoppable Domino and Deja Vu so uh, 
things on the smaller side, you know, just a guy in his truck helping someone change a tire and where that can lead them. I always say keep it simple like a pimple. That's how that's how you are, it seems like. That's pretty much. But with a little, with several layers underneath, because there's a lot going on in life. Yeah, definitely. I was gonna ask you, um, how 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 are you doing health wise? Because I know you had the bout with leukemia. How's everything going with you? Other than this cold uh, that I have from mm -hmm. being on airplanes, uh, things are really great. Thanks for asking. I am a leukemia survivor. Yes. In the year two thousand to two thousand and one. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in Houston at MD Anderson Hospital. They they saved my life along with all the amazing people that were by my side, caretakers, and the grace of God. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a big advocate of winning, living through yeah. cancer. It's not a four-letter word. It's a six-letter word. Mm -hmm. And I try and do as much as I can for different societies of, uh, in that illness and any illness and, and charities and whatnot. So, um, but I, I appreciate health. I mean, we, we take it for granted every morning and when you're laying in a hospital bed and your tomorrows don't, don't seem certain and your yesterdays don't mean anything and your today is all you got, you, you get a good perspective. I would love for everyone to have that perspective and not have to take the ride, so to speak, but uh, that's a tough one to get get to, but I'm I'm uh, I'm healthy, happy, mm -hmm. and uh, you know I always say humans are the best medicine. You know we keep each other well, and uh, when we lose sight of that, with civil unrest and violence and hate, um, then we're not healthy. Yeah. Uh, none of us are. So. Um, Humans, we are the best medicine, and so uh, we should uh, we should keep it at that. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, um, another my, my last question for you. Um, do you miss New Orleans? Do you miss home? Or LA is where the heart is at? Or Los Angeles is home now because I've been here, and home previously has been Louisiana. Mm -hmm. It's been Seattle. It's been New Orleans. It's been Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. it's been Wow. <laughs> yeah. Each of those places has been a great place. And I think they're all part of the discovery that I talk about in my work. They're all part of uh, happy accidents while I ended up here because the job took me or a girl or something got me here. But well, it's really great to be here. So I try to see it like that and also in my characters this guy's despicable but there's something cool about him or something likable about him and I will bring that to the surface I do miss New Orleans fortunately there's a great film industry there that takes me back most recently I was back doing a movie called Kidnap with Halle Berry it's a, a action adventure psychological thriller where I take her child and she wants that child back as any mother would a little bit like Taken, uh, except instead of a CIA operative ex-op, it's a soccer mom, so to speak. So um, we're really excited for that. I was there for a couple months shooting that in New Orleans, and, and it was perfect. Well, so, I was going to ask you that. you have anything uh, um, anything in the future coming up? So Kidnapped is one, right? There's certainly that. There's a movie that I got to do for Jonas Caron, who is Alphonse Caron's son. 
uh, Jonas wrote originally the script for Gravity, which Alphonse directed, won an Oscar last year. Oh, okay. I know we're Oscar this year, and I'm a year behind, but uh, I did a movie for them down in Mexico called Desierto. It's, uh, it's with Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Gael Garcia Bernal, and uh, it's about immigration across the border, and there's certain people that don't like that vigilante and take it into their own hands, and I play a border patrolman who's trying to stop that effort, and uh, it becomes a big chase across the desert, crossing the Rio Grande. So uh, I'm excited for that. But, uh, it's probably going to go to Cannes in, in May, and then probably hit the theaters for the fall. Uh, I've got several little indies that are coming out or are out that uh, you know, I'm always excited for. Um, those of you that want to take a fun ride, uh, Wicked Blood's a movie I did with Abigail Breslin and Sean Bean. It's out on Redbox or uh, Netflix. You can check it out. And uh, I'm really proud of that film and that work that I did in that. Um, there's a movie online called Camouflage, which is very interesting. You can download it for free. Uh, it's very psychological. So, uh, yeah, I have some stuff out there and looking forward to uh, continuing to work and, and uh, making um, discoveries. No, and, and on any conventions in the New York City area, if you're coming to New York or not necessarily? Uh, I don't know if I'm coming. I may be coming for a, a show, a Walker Stalker in New York. Mm -hmm. I can't remember if it's in May or June, but I might be attached to that. Uh, you know, again, always, the you know, with us and those conventions, we always want to go, but occasionally we got to work. You can't get out of uh, make a movie or a television show and we're not able to go. So, mm -hmm. um, But uh, I adore New York and... Uh, um, you know, I'm excited for, uh, for the weather to change for you all so that you can get out and, and get some sun. Definitely. Um, is there any social media where anybody could find you or any, like, fans out there that want to, like... Yeah, I do, uh, I do Twitter, Lou Temple Actor at Twitter. Uh, I stay pretty active on Twitter. I have a nice little account. The Facebook page, the Lou Temple Facebook page is run by uh, a fan, but I always get messages. I think that's how we got in touch, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and so you're, you're proof that I do respond to the messages. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, and then, of course, check out what I'm doing. If you want to check me out on IMDb, that's a good place to, to see what, what pictures and, and TV shows and whatnot that I'm doing. Uh, so that's great. I appreciate the time you're giving me, Lou. Thank you so much, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing your work in film. My pleasure. So nice to visit with you all, and, uh, you know, uh, stay warm and uh, be good to each other. All right? Yeah, definitely. God bless. You too.